Welcome to Steps, a podcast celebrating people and their stories. Far too often, we don't give people the opportunity to share their journey, where they've come from, what they've overcome, and the amazing things that have happened in their lives. That's what we're going to do on Steps. We'll have real conversations with real people to understand how they've gotten to this place in time. Confucius said, the journey of 1,000 miles starts with a single step. So, let's start this journey. My name is Steve Wenzel. I'm a former college volleyball coach who has a passion for stories. In particular, other people's stories. Our conversation today is with Gary DeFranco. Gary's an executive producer of The Ultimate Fighter, a rapper, a sneakerhead, and someone who proudly claims to be from Ohio, and more importantly, from Cleveland. We discuss his journey that took him away from the Buckeye State and how he landed in Sin City and some of the bumps in the road that he faced from his childhood until now. Gary is a wealth of knowledge and one of the realest people that I know. His passion for helping people and sharing their stories isn't too far off my overall mission with Steps. Now, let's get into the conversation with Gary. What's going on, my brother? How are you? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good, man. I, I've gotten in the habit of, as I start and get into episodes, I kind of do a, a little bit of a where in the world. So in an update where we're at. So Portland today, it's uh, about 42 degrees. It's a little bit chilly, a little bit overcast and uh, no rain right now, which is uh, <laughs> absolutely crazy to think of. But uh, I want to know, and I, I want you to tell our listeners, man, where in the world is Gary DeFranco right now? Let me check the weather really quick so I'm accurate. Uh, all right. In Las Vegas, Nevada, it's uh, 57 and partly cloudy. Um, should be nice today, 70s. This is the time of the year where the weather starts getting perfect for a while before it's hot as hell for four or five months. So When the, when the sun nice. tries to kill you? Yeah, it's uh, it tries. You know, it's been getting hotter every year, too. It seems like every year they're breaking all the records, and it's 120 degrees sometimes now, and uh, that's a little rough. That's insane, man. Like it's, and again, for those that don't say global war, say global warming isn't a thing. Like it's, it's crazy. My in-laws live in Arizona. And again, I mean, they, they're originally from Chicago and they're down there and we visited them a couple of times and it's just like, everybody's like, Oh my God. And when it hits 118, 120, I mean, it's, I don't care if it's a dry heat or not, it's still hot. It, it's hot. Yeah. They say the dry heat thing, which, I was against that and I was like, that's nothing. And then I worked in Memphis for about a year and a half and it'd be 90, 95 and it would be death. It'd be way worse than 120 here. So, oh yeah. Well, I know, mean, that's how he works, but 120 is 120, 110 is 110. <laughs> it sucks no matter what. Yeah. It's, it, it's a little bit insane. And so we're in Las Vegas, Nevada and we'll get into what you do, but I, I like for those that are listening again, I've done this once before. I'm going to need you guys to go over to YouTube and sit and take a look at what I'm seeing because Gary, you're not in just a, like, it's not an office or a, like, where are you at? Where are you recording this from? Uh, I call it my studio. Uh, it's a really corny name. Um, I'm a sneakerhead and I have a lot of sneakers and they were in bins and boxes and, you know, all over the place for years. And I finally decided I got to do something with it. I started working from home a lot, like most people did during COVID. Um, I also record music, so I kind of made an office, studio, shoe room um, out of one of my spare bedrooms, so uh, I call it the studio, so you probably see a bunch of sneakers behind there, but 
well, you know, I'd have them in boxes stacked up and half of them I'd never wear because it'd be such a pain in the ass to try to find them. And, you know, now they're organized and, you know, neat and uh, almost like displayed in a way. So, yeah, it's uh, it's like, you know, like my mom has her beanie babies, like all <laughs> like nice. Like I got, you know, sneakers, so. do you, is there a certain way that you have it categorized or organized? Yeah, um, usually by brand okay. um, and then around eye level or wherever so the ones I wear the most often. You know, down low are, uh, you know, ones that I don't like as much and like the top are the grails, so to speak, are the ones that I, I probably won't wear that much. So it's kind of organized, but as I get new ones, everything has to shift. So it's gonna, there's going to be a point where it's all screwed and I got to start. <laughs> so you t- like, I, I can only imagine how like you plan this out in your head and as you go, okay, well, I, okay, I got this new pair. I've got to move here. I've got to do that. Like it's got to be a full blown process it's a whole new set of problems. <laughs> like before I had to look for them. Now I'm like, shit, like, do I take a pair out and put them elsewhere? Um, I'm real OCD. And uh, for anyone watching, I have ADD too. So you're going to see me freaking out going all over the place. Um, so that drives me nuts. If there's one pair that's off, I'm going to stare at it and then have to redo the whole thing. Oh my um, gosh. So it's either chaos or once I start getting it organized, then it's hard to like not have it perfect. It's, it's a constant, it's a constant like evolution. And I, yeah, I can only imagine. So you talked grails and being a sneakerhead and everything like that, like what, what are like top two, top three, top, whatever, what, like, what are your grails? Uh, I think Dornbecker fours are probably my favorite shoe and probably the one that's worth the most. Um, I'd say, and then, there's like staples. Everybody has their staple, I think. And fours are my staple. Just bread or fire fours, I think, are I'll always have pairs of those, you know, in the in the arsenal, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and then you working with Adidas. Um I was on Adidas, you know, for a while, but even after talking to you, I've started buying more pairs of Adidas and the Golden Knights are sponsored by Adidas. So yeah. I have this weird and a lot of people probably do. If I have an Adidas shirt on, I have to wear Adidas shoes or it drives me crazy. So as I was buying sweatshirts and jerseys for the nights they were always adidas i 10 pairs of gold colored adidas <laughs> somewhere around now um so yeah i think uh i got a couple pairs of adidas that are super dope and uh the fours i'd say all right uh, and some randoms um i have these uh Sacconis that were only put out at a store called feature here mm-hmm. and they're purple and they have a purple 500 dollars chip on it um so not very many people have those in fairy vegas uh that'd probably be one of my other favorite pairs oh well, that's dope well that, but and that's how I can. That's how I know that you're a sneakerhead, right? Because again, you're sitting here, you're talking about different shoes that aren't like mainstream, right? And you know, fun fact. And again, I'll come back around. Like I, look, I currently don't because just by virtue of where I work, I don't own a pair of Nikes. I've got, I think, one pair that's left around from when I was coaching, but I've never had a pair of Jordans. Never. Right. So like when you talk the fours or everybody's all about, you know, the, you know, the Jordan ones and, uh, you know, the highs, the low. And again, I follow it and I get it, but like, it's, it's not anything that I've ever put my foot into. And so I'm, uh, I'm curious to see when I, when I actually get a pair, cause I, I was watching an interview somewhere and I forget who the heck it was, but somebody's like, I hate Jordan so much. I will never buy a pair of Jordans. Like, and it was fascinating, but again, that's not how I am. It's just, I've never, I've never had a pair. Yeah, uh, I've never watched Star Wars, right? And it's not because I'm against it. Some people are like adamantly against mm-hmm. it. I just missed the era, and then I was always going to watch it, but just hasn't happened yet. 
So I think it's kind of the same. Like you're not maybe anti, but where you're at in the world and where you work and everything yeah. makes it so it's not really a good look at the moment. And then, you know, if that ever becomes a situation where you want or can have those, I will buy you your first pair and I will pick them out. I, uh, <sighs> I have a rule. I buy shoes for everybody. I have a couple of rules. One, they can't ask me for them. And two, I buy something that they would never buy themselves, but I'm sure that they would like. Dude, that's, and that that's the way to do it, man. Like, like that's the coolest thing in the entire world. And I will, I will take you up on that if my situation changes at some point in time, because like whenever you, like you're a specialist in, in the things that you do, right? Like, and I, and I know that, and we're, we're going to dig into a lot of those things, but when you if you're not familiar with a certain area or a certain sneaker, or a certain genre or certain, like any of this stuff, right? Like you're flying blind, like me getting into learning NFTs, right? You go into it and you're just like, uh, so that you lean onto the expert. So I'm going to take you up on that. I, yeah, I have a, I have a feeling about that. Yeah. And I, I like Jordans, but I've been steering away as well. They do some things that really aggravate me. Like I'll have a pair that's worth a lot and I, you know, really like them. And then boom, they re-release them, and I'm like, oh shit! And Dude, Adidas is doing that right now. They're, like they're doing, like they they're re-releasing all the uh, like the OG, you know, three fifty Yeezys. Like, I mean, I and I think it, and I love the the nod and the homage and the, but like it takes away from like the OG. It, it does, and yellowing bottoms used to be everyone hated it more than anything. The the bottoms would yellow on the Jordans. Um, like five, six in, in that era. And people would hate it, right? It would be the worst, especially when you're younger and you only have one or two pairs of shoes. Yeah. And then now that became cool because of the icy buttons on it. And it, now they're coming out with fake fucking yellow, excuse me, language, fake right. yellowing shoes. So it's not even like, okay, I have these Jordan fives. They're yellow, everybody. And sneakerhead community will know. Yeah. No one else would know. They'll look like, oh, okay, those are whatever year or whatever. Now they have ones that come out already yellowed. And I'm like, you're like, why are you doing that? That's you know, insane. It's, it's kind of, I don't know why they do. Um, like the yellow fours, the lightning fours, those those were like expensive. And only a few people had those. You Real sneakerheads. Because you had to be a sneakerhead long ago when those came out. And then mm-hmm. they just make them a general release. And like everybody has them. So there's very few left that are were big enough for a lot of people to have. But still, you know, rare. Like player edition stuff. Especially the Oregon stuff. Up, you know, rear yeah. for tens of thousands dollars those are super rare but there's not like the middle range like those lightnings were where they were a relatively big release but you know not that big so it's like everyone has it now or there's like m&m jordans that are eighty thousand dollars yeah it's it's insane the just the spectrum of you know sneakers and people like if you don't if you haven't been in it or don't even kind of like again do the research and understand like you know everybody you just kind of go with the baseline model or you go, and even I learned that with Adidas, right? Like I coached at schools that were Adidas. And when we came on in, it was, you know, you get your, you get your gear as a coach, as a player and all that stuff. And, but I come over to Adidas and I'm like, well, what's an ultra boost. And again, it was shortly after they had come out, but like, then you put it on the feet and it's a game changer, but it's not, nece- those aren't necessarily offered in stores normally or the places that you would go, sh- you know, necessarily shop. And so it's just, it's very interesting. And now obviously everything's moving to a D2C model, direct to consumer. So they're driving everything towards their websites and all that stuff, higher revenue, higher margins. So that, that game's completely changed too. Yeah. Um, People don't realize how comfortable those are. Um, <laughs> right. Like, you know, Kanye or whatever. 
Um, or some people think they're the ugliest shoes in the history of the world. Some people, it's like a pug. It's so ugly, it's cute. Like those shoes are the most comfortable shoes I own uh, by far. It's insane. Um, it's ins- like the step in comfort on those. It's just like you're walking on a cloud and uh, they're nuts. It's night and day, especially if you wear a lot of retro stuff. You know, the Fords were designed in the mid 80s. Yeah. Maybe the technology's like been updated a bit, but they're still flat and hard. That little air bubble does nothing. That's for looks only. Yeah. Um, and yeah, your feet will be, you know, they'll be hurting if you're on, a, you know, a job where you walk or you're standing all day on those for sure. Well, and again, so that like, that's actually kind of a cool segue, right? Because, you know, as we talk jobs and uh, I'm fortunate enough that, I mean, you and I were in communication and we talk quite a bit and I, I know what you do, but, you know, when you talk being on your feet and moving around and all that stuff, like your job is the epitome of it. And I, I want you to, you know, if you can shed some light on what it is that you do and kind of give our, give our listeners a, a day in the life or, you know, kind of let them know what you're up to. Um, I have a bunch of things going on, but mainly um, I'm the executive producer of The Ultimate Fighter, which is on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, we're doing our 30th season domestically. We've done 10 or 12 international seasons, too. So um, we're in the 40s, I think, with seasons, which is pretty rare for any show to go that long. Um, that's, started- insane. that's insane, by the way. Like, if, if you really think about it, right? Like, 30 seasons. And I remember – and I'll – I'll continue to throw anecdotal. Like I remember watching those episodes. Like my, one of my favorite seasons was, <laughs> I mean, I loved anything with Tito Ortiz. And again, like he, he was just one of those la, like larger than life characters. And you guys did a great job of portraying that, but like, those are my memories of it. And obviously it's changing. So like, I just, I wanted to share that because I know you've been a part of a lot of those. And so, yeah. It's a, it's when you bring that up. The first interview I ever did was Tito Ortiz in my life. No kidding. Um, yeah. The, the first show I did was called American Casino. It was on the Discovery Channel. And the Fertitas who owned all these casinos also owned the UFC back then. And I was uh, the production coordinator, which is like one step up from production assistant. So, you know, you might not have to go get the coffee and then the dry cleaning and all that stuff, but you're the one that has to tell the guy to get it. Sometimes you do as well. It's a, depending on the show it's you know <clears throat> relatively a, a grunt job um so in doing an interview and stuff like that is something you wouldn't normally do so we go um uh some vips were coming and tito was getting flown in and he was going to take the vips uh to a ufc fight gamble with them kind of a high roller package that they had put on and we were going to film it because that show was just the behind the scenes mm-hmm. um of green valley ranch here in vegas i was there 18 months we shot every facet of the place and followed the GM to the bus boy, everything. Pretty cool show. Um, so my boss at the time was like, Hey, I need to go to the airport and pick somebody up. I'm like, who is it? Like Tito Ortiz. Oh shit. Um, <laughs> and I was the only UFC fan. Yeah. I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, she's like, take my car. And she had a brand new Escalade and I had like a Nissan Altima kind of a busted ride. This was like 2003, I think maybe 2004. And I'm like, she's like, take my car. And I always drove little cars. I still can't drive big cars. I don't, it's not comfortable. So I'm like, shit. So I got to go to the airport and pick him up. We get in the car and he's like, I got to go to Sally's Beauty Supply. And I'm like, All right, we got to get back. Like, you know, and she's calling me every five minutes. I think I had a flip, I had a flip phone at the time. It was a free <laughs> iPhone. Um, and so you couldn't uh, look anything up either. Um, people forget that there was a time in which you cannot just look where you're going. So he's like, yeah. I got to get Sally's Beauty Supply. I'm like, I don't know where Sally's Beauty Supply is. Like, do I look like I, you know, my hair wasn't much longer then. I'm like, shit. Uh, so I, I called one of the homegirls and I'm like, you know, there's a Sally beauty slide. She's like, yeah, it's by the mall where I used to work. So we go, it's the hood mall. 
And uh, so we go and jump out. All these people start coming up to him and signing autographs. Like, shit, my boss is calling me. Like, where's Tito? Like, why aren't you back here? I'm like, right, Sally's Beauty Supply. And if people who don't know, he dyes his hair blonde. He always has. It was his signature look. It was like growing out. And he's like, I'm not going on camera with my hair looking like this. I got to get this shit and go dye my hair before I go on camera. I'm like, how long does that take? It's like 90 minutes. Oh, man. So uh, <laughs> I'm like, this is, you know, and this is a big deal to like get to interview him. Yeah. And, you know, it was a newer boss and she was like very hardcore. Um, she was not the nicest person. Back in that era, there's a lot of yellers and you could like treat people a lot differently in television. Mm-hmm. Like the stories of throwing sandwiches at people because there's the onions weren't left off and stuff. That was like a rare thing, but happened. Now you can't do that kind of stuff in the workplace now. Crazy stuff. And they she'd yell a lot. So shit. So we get the the hair dye and we go back and um, you know, he's got to dye his hair and she's yelling at me. I'm like, this is the star of the show. He wasn't gonna do it. We would have got all the way back here and then had to go to get this. He was just not gonna do it. Yeah. So and she's like, Well, you have to interview him. And uh, this is a little secret for some reality shows. The ones I work on now don't do this, but some are fake a little bit. Um, and that show would do what's called pickup interviews. And it would be after they would cut the episodes together, we'd go back and like do the interviews. So instead of doing hours of interviews for every possible thing um, that we could use, we'd go specific things, but the timeline would be different. So he had lost to Chuck Liddell, um, but this episode is going to play before the Chuck Liddell fight. So she's like, do you want to interview him? I'm like, heck yeah, I do. But they had lines that he had to read and it was pre-fight. So he had to talk about how he's going to beat Chuck when he had already got his ass kicked by him. Oh, no. So, yeah. So it was rough because we had previously filmed him doing another segment. Um, this was the second time he was coming back. And that time was when he was going to fight Chuck. So um, and eye lines a big thing when you do an interview and these interviews are standing up a lot of the times and I'm five four if that and he's six foot or something so i'm standing on this like ballroom chair <laughs> with like island right and uh reading these lines and i'm like all right you don't have to say this but like you know we have to, we have to go back in time this is before the chuck fight i'm nervous as hell i've done a million interviews since then but this is the very first time i ever did i'm stuttering and like uh and he was a professional like he knew the deal and he, and he, he delivered the lines he didn't hit me so um that was uh funny you say tito ortiz but that was the first that was the first UFC interaction I ever had professionally. And it's been like over 19 years working with them now. I mean, that, but that's insane, right? Because again, you weren't in that space. Your first interview is Tito Ortiz. And, you know, and now you are executive producer, of the ultimate fighter, you know, 30 plus seasons, all this, like how, how did you, what was the transition into that? Um, Basically, uh, I moved from Cleveland when I was 18 years old. I was starting to get in a lot of trouble back then. And um, I grew up in Cleveland um, and I moved here and went to UNLV. I, wouldn't, I didn't get in at first and we had to kind of uh, work the system to get me in there. And um, so I started as a freshman at UNLV, um, went to school for six years or so, never ended up graduating. Um, music was my life back then. You know, I wanted to be a rapper own a record label, do all that. But I was also like trying to take the safe route by going to hospitality management school, you know, and it's the best in the world. I got in, it's like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So do what's the best. So I'm taking hospitality management, you know, classes and everything for years. And I didn't do very well. I was failing a lot. I have to retake everything. Um, I was working at a record store here and um, all the kind of came crashing down at the same time. I was done with school. The record, Business was going in the shitter. CDs were a thing in the past. Or 
getting to be Napster and LimeWire and everything had just started. Uh-huh. So the record stores were closing. And then one of you guys remember Best Buy had 999 CDs all the time. Um, yeah. They would sell their CDs at a loss to big people into the store. So a CD store could not compete. You know, that 999 cost them 1199. We had to sell it for 1699. Just, to make, just the margins, yeah. Right. So we were getting murdered. And um, I was living about, depending on the time, 10 to 15, 16 people in one apartment. Uh, we were Wait, hold just on. trying to make I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm stopping you there. Like you said 10 to 15 to 16 people in one apartment. Yeah. yeah. It, was, uh, it was a revolving door of people. It was uh, it was crazy. Uh, we were trying to make it in rap game, and had all of a sudden be like, "Who the fuck is that person? They've been here for three weeks. Do they live here now?" I'm like, "No, they've been here two months." Or like, "Whose kid is that?" You know, we have a dog now. Who the fuck's dog is this? Like, um, yeah, it was it was crazy. I mean, I had my own room, and my two roommates that were originally there did, but then people had to line themselves up on the living room floor to like have enough room to sleep, um, and it would just be random people and. It, it was pretty crazy. It was fun at the time. Yeah. It was, uh, it was nuts. And, you know, one of the guys happened to be wanted by the police at one time, they blew the door off. And then for a while we just didn't even have a front door. Um, it, it was, it was rough, but it was a good time. Like looking back on it. So, um, all that was going on and I was like in, in a rough spot financially. Um, there's things that, you know, everyone were scraping to get by things that weren't always on the up and up. And then, um, I decided I was going to move home to Cleveland. I was like, all right, I tried everything, failed out of school. Don't have a job. This is going to shit. Um, I had a big record, uh, label sign me, uh, to a deal and then folded. Um, so it was like the last straw. It's like this music thing. I put 10 years into it. So it's not going to happen. I got to figure something out. You there, brother? Yo. I think we lost you. <laughs> Welcome back, my friend. I was just thing on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So we'll catch you guys up to speed. Gary and I were talking, and this was last week, and it just kind of... Uh, we had some technical difficulties and we tried a couple of times and here we are again. So anybody that's watching on YouTube or, you know, notices we're in totally different outfits, we look completely different and, and that's okay. But uh, I think it's kind of a cool segue kind of going into like your life now and we'll go back to where you were talking, but your life now and what you do. And I mean, I'd imagine shit gets crazy and goes not according to plan all the time. Yeah. That's the thing about, reality tv or, or non-scripted stuff you know it's uh if you miss it it didn't happen um and some shows will redo things and just depending on what the show is and, and you know the parameters of it but on a fighting show like i do mostly you can't redo stuff and we don't try to you know if we do if like a guy's doing like his big entrance shot for a fight or something like we may get a second angle or something but we never tell anybody to say something again or do something again like that so if uh you hit the wrong button or the camera fails or the mic's not on or something like that, which happens like it's gone. It never happened. You know, the the world will never see it. And interviews, especially like I could tell, um, you know, like 
you're just cool and calm because if I was on the other side, like, <laughs> you know, like it, it happens every time I'm trying to do like an important interview, all of a sudden construction or like the dump trucks outside yeah. or like people in the next room that you have no control of, like, you know, the next office or whatever are screaming. I mean, you name it and it's happened to us during like, you know, really important interviews. Someone's crying about something that's terrible happened and like there's commotion everywhere and it distracts them and you just want to like be able to get a good interview bite out of them to tell their story. And there's all these crazy things that always happen. So, um, you get to see a little taste of that. And I almost smashed my computer. <laughs> yeah. The, te- the, the our text exchange during it was kind of comical, but I, I think, so what you, one thing you said that like kind of trying to be in the moment and all of that stuff, right? Like that's obviously like what you do and what you capture is all moment based. And if you miss that moment, you miss it and in the next breath, right? Like, but that's real. And I think one thing as you and I were talking before and have talked in the past, right? Like that's part of the problem with social media. That's part of the problem with everything like production, because when that goes out there, it's like, it's automatically people are sitting going, okay, this is perfect. Right. I mean, you've got a filter for this. You've got this, you got the, and even you were talking about like, when we got cut out, like your entry point into kind of when you were throwing up your hands away from music, but then getting into like ultimate fighter and getting it, like you were doing the camera job, but like all of like that shit doesn't get told the, the bad stuff or the, the, the breaking of the camera. And I, I want to come back to that. Right. Because that's where we were at whenever we were going away when, when I lost you. Um, but like, it's all real, but those real stories don't get told. Yeah, I mean, uh, two days ago, hundred thousand dollar camera hit the ground over here, and uh, it's just you, you know you said a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's a, it. Yeah, with the lens, the lenses are usually more expensive than the cameras, and just one of those things where it was really no one's fault. Just something went wrong, and um, you know if that's the only camera you have um, on the day, or you know depending on what you're doing, like have to figure something out and then it oh, becomes no. like do we wait do we capture it with something that's you know not up to our standards that you know that we're used to that you know this iphone has a better camera on it than existed in the whole entire world 10 years ago you know right. like 4k and wide angle lens and when i started in television we were shooting on beta um <laughs> and that, most of the people many of the people that have listened to this but don't know what the heck beta is so <laughs> yeah, it stayed around in TV a little longer than it did in the consumer market. And yeah. um, I don't know if anybody knows why beta went away, but it's uh, actually when the porn industry chose VHS over beta, it killed beta. Um, ah. At the time, there was so much money in, you know, that sector of you know VHS versus beta was like, such a big chunk of the market. It was at a crossroads, yeah. It's like, you know, and then uh, they decided, and also porn decided not to go with Laserdisc, and that's what killed the Laserdisc too. So it's like weird that, those videos were really expensive back in the day and it just, you know, generated a lot of revenue. Um, not to get too far off track, but, um, yeah, you know, you have to just figure it out on these shows and how you're going to tell the story. And if you miss a part of it, then how do you tell that story accurately without that piece? Um, you know, you know, getting other people's reactions to it or, you know, it's, it's, uh, makes it interesting when we work on scripted stuff, it's harder in some ways cause you have to have actors and, and they have to kind of perform, but you could do it over and over again. And, um, you know, with this kind of thing, if you miss something, it, you know, for the all, you know, fixed purposes, it doesn't work, you know, it's, it's lost. Yeah. yeah. And then, then you have to try to recreate whatever moment. And, it, and again, I think that's kind of 
what's cool about because of your experience and what you've been through, right? And as we were kind of figuring out how the heck we're going to pick this back up and go, right? Like, I think it makes sense, right? That we tell a little bit of the story. We like, look, this stuff happens and it's okay. And here's how we're going to move forward. Yep. And uh, like my tech soup and all the people that I employ will remind me of why they work, you know, and why I'm not allowed to touch shit like this at work. And I'm like, I shouldn't <laughs> at home. Um, we so it's definitely my fault. <laughs> so like, we just got to, we just got to get them to hardwire your computer now. Yep. I mean, I mean because I, I, I feel as though, cause we, you said it, we had a good vibe going, we were kind of rolling. Like we could make this a, a consistent thing. You know I mean? You got the shoe room, you got, I mean, we could, this could be fun. So we, we just got to get you hardwired first. Yep. And I think uh, <laughs> something's been going on with the cable around here lately. Cause I got the giga blast or whatever. It's not usually a problem, but um, I, I don't know if this is a Microsoft platform or what it is either. Cause when I use the Microsoft meetings or whatever, it doesn't work at all, but yeah. zoom I've had no problems. So it might've been that or, but it's going smooth right now. Knock on wood. Yeah, so. We're rolling. Um, so let's go. You talked about a camera. I think we've moved past that, right? Your insertion point. I want to go back to your insertion point into, um, you know, kind of the camera work and everything when you were throwing up your arms about music and we can stay as long as we want, because I also want to make sure that we're talking about like where you came from, because you and I, like we both, we're both from Cleveland. We're both and So that's kind of our story, but I do want to kind of talk about that quick insertion point where you were talking, you started talking about your, your friend, um, that was, you know, had work and needed somebody and all that. Um, so yeah, my first, my first day, um, in television is when I I broke the camera and like lost all the releases and everything. And, um, you know, Adrian Pruitt, his name, he's, uh, won two Emmys last year. Um, he's the DP of MasterChef and Lego masters and, and done movies and everything. And he's been my best friend since college. We just happened to live in the same freshman dorm floor. 1997 and um you know we were very different people but we had you know we music was one thing that always brought us together and he went mm-hmm. to film school and you know unfortunately i didn't believe in my own dreams and, and myself at the time and i didn't think i could make a living doing something creative so i decided to go to hotel casino management hospitality management program um because in my head like it wasn't a real job making movies or music and, and stuff at the time i was going to college because I wanted to make music, but it wasn't realistic. And I, it was going to be my backup plan or whatever. I was trying to make music the whole time through college. And, uh, you know, well, let's be real quick. I'll, let me interject because again, it just anecdotally, like that's also the age. I mean, you and I are the same age. I mean, we're a couple weeks apart, you know, birthday wise that we found out, but like, that's what we were, that's what was expected of us, right? Yeah. You go to college and again, obviously things are very different now, but like, so yeah, like I went to school for pharmacy. Like I was going to be a pharmacist, dude. I, I I have a passion around people and all this. And like, but yeah, let's let's go be a pharmacist because that's what you thought you had to do. So like, I just wanted to kind of throw that in because like that's what we were supposed to do. You go to college, you get a degree, you do, and there. So, but yeah, it's very different for you. Very yeah, very different. I, I was the first person in my family to ever go to college at all. You know, and it was just like it was. I did it for my mom more than anything because she sacrificed so much to like get me to that point. Um, so she just wanted me to go to college. That's all she wanted. You know, like I got in trouble with different kinds of shit growing up and, you know, I was, I was in a lot of trouble right before I left and I was running with the wrong people and doing the wrong things. And, and, uh, you know, the, the college was the thing that was like, 
she didn't, I mean, she cared about the other shit and didn't want me doing a lot of the things I was doing, but it was like, if you could just get your stuff together enough to get to college, like she thought it would change, you know, and I get away from certain people and certain things. And, mm-hmm. um, so her whole, you know, she worked three jobs my whole life. Um, her, my father and her split up when I was young and, um, he had some issues with the law and stuff like that. And, um, like she just worked her ass off to like get me to college. That was the thing, right? That's her whole goal. Um, so, and all the shit I was doing and being a crappy kid and wiling out all the time, like that was always in the back of my head to like figure out how to at least give her that. Um, and then, uh, I guess to back up a little, I ended up going to UNLV from Cleveland. Um, when I was probably about 12 years old, uh, my dad took us to Las Vegas, my mom, my brother and I, and we ended up going to a UNLV basketball game and they were the, they were number one team in the country at the time. Um, and it was nuts and they played the Russian national team. I actually still have the ticket, uh, to that game. And I I found the game on YouTube like a month ago. First time I've seen it ever, um, since 1991 and, uh, pretty crazy shit. Um, cause that changed my life that day. That day I was like, I'm coming back here. I'm going to this college. It was awesome. I mean, there's hot girls everywhere and they they want national champs and, you know, they had laser light show and everything at the, at the game, you know, it was Vegas and they just did it up and, you know, they the Russian team beat the Knicks and another NBA team and UNLV beat them by like 30 that night. And it was like amazing experience. So I was always like, um, you know, I'm going to go to UNLV. And like a month later, um, my dad ended up getting locked up for, um, he was running a gambling operation in cahoots with the Cleveland police department. They got busted by the FBI. Um, and it turns out like the money that he was making from that got us that trip. Right. So, like I would have never got that trip if it wasn't for that. And like, he's had some, like, you know, like he's felt pretty bad about some of this shit throughout, you know, his adult life and how he didn't do quote unquote better, you know, that he says, and like, Hey, that, that hustle that you had going got me to that trip, which got me to college. Like if, if I didn't go then who knows? And then, um, a month later we go to the Cavs game with, uh, this guy, there's his friend, uncle Pete. Um, bought us foam fingers. We got to go on the court, like all this shit. Well, it turned out that fucker was an FBI agent undercover telling us, call him Uncle Pete and buy me and my brother nachos and shit. And then, uh, like a month later, they blow our door off and fucking drag us out in the middle of the night and take my dad off to jail. This guy was like, you know, call me Uncle Pete, you know, like ridiculous. It was gambling. They weren't, you know, killing people. Um, so it was like two games, like the one that changed my life, PNLV, and then like a month later, the Scavs game. I have the ticket to that too. Um, one was November, one was December, 1991, I believe. My dad found the ticket for that one recently. So I have those these two tickets, and it was like the best game ever. And then this game was like, in, in hindsight, it was like, this guy's, why do you have to do that? You know, I've, I've had a problem with the police and ever since. Um, and it's just like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to involve kids. You didn't have to like take us to fucking ball games and shit and pretend like you're my uncle and then, you know, do that. So not to get too far off course, but yeah, you're good. You know, that's, uh, that sticks with me is just like how shady that, that they could be. And if they're, are they protecting good, you know, in some ways, yes, but we're talking about gambling and you're going to like put, you know, traumatize kids and stuff and throw women on the ground and like act that way. And like, you don't have, like, there's no reason for him to like, invite us you know like hey take your kids to the game you're gonna you know i met larry nance that night it was like you know my favorite player as a kid and then it's like yeah. kind of soured in you know in hindsight it's like this guy's you know acting like he's our friend like his children you know like i don't know kids should be off limits with shit like that in my opinion and uh but 
it's a good story and now and uh you know that i had to kind of step up and be the man of the house at that point and right. a whole number of you know different responsibilities when that happened and my parents split after that and uh which is better they weren't getting along and that they were both much better apart so mm-hmm. you know looking back on it it worked out better than it probably would have if they would have stayed together and, and you know for much longer but you know it's these one moments in your life that it's kind of weird how these just happen to be two basketball games. I'm barely five, four can't play basketball at all. It's like probably the last sport I'd ever be good at, but two basketball games like influenced my life in, in such a big way. It's fascinating. And I think what you had, you said like, here are these two, these two moments and one sets you on a trajectory to both. If we're being fully honest, set you on the trajectory of where you're at right now. One was a little bit more memorable in a positive manner. The other at the time was memorable, but then as you reflect back on it, right, it's one of those, it was a pivotal moment in your life that caused the the dominoes to fall, right? And again, I'll just kind of come back to my, like the mission of what I, what I'm trying to do and why I, why I love this platform, this medium to be able to do this is like, everybody's got a story. And like speaking candidly, like I've known you, like I knew you, we went to high school together, but like, again, we didn't run with the same people. We didn't run in the same crowd. I knew who you were and I don't know that story. Right. And again, like I, like I love, I love moments like that. And again, I love to pause and also thank you for sharing that. Right. Cause some of that shit, like it's not to you and me, like the stuff we've been through, it's easy to share, but for others, right. It may not be, and maybe it makes an impact. So like, I, I, I want to kind of, if you're cool with it, kind of stick there for a second, because again, you were talking, so 91, you said you were what, like 12? Yeah, I think, yeah, I was probably 12. It was like right around Christmas. Yeah. 12 or 13, I think. Okay. Like so yeah. Years. So you said like, I mean, December happens, they pull you out, they do like all this stuff. And like, it, it's a, it's a pivotal change for you because you have to step up you got to do you know be the man of the house you got to do these things how did you how did you balance that with like being a kid and doing all like because yeah yeah i mean loosely the man of the house my mom yeah. held, held it down i mean she always, she always did and then had my grandparents uh my grandpa was the oldest barber in uh the united states when he passed away he was cutting hair at 93 years old still five days a week Damn. Um, and he uh he became a barber in world war ii and cut till he was 93 years old in cleveland um he the story goes you know they he like hey leone you got two choices be a barber or uh go to the kitchen you're italian you must already know how to cook so start cutting fucking hair you know when he's when, when he you know got drafted or whatever and uh he's a barber pretty much like ever since and uh i grew up in that barber shop with him and he was you know my grandma got sick for years like 15 years she had a stroke and couldn't really take care of herself he took care of her every single day. Um, it was just like a really positive influence. And we lived on and off with them, you know, getting like kind of back on our feet at that time. Yeah. And um, so it wasn't that hard because our family was always there. Like we didn't have a lot of shit, but we had good food and, and love and everything you like really need. You know, we weren't, you know, I wasn't dressing in a designer shit all the time, but my mom always said, you're going to be clean and your shit's going to match and it's going to be pressed and, you know, it doesn't have to be whatever you know, designer stuff, but, you know, figure out a way to rock it your own way. And then, you know, it's better than the shit that everybody's wearing the same thing. So, you know, she, she always had like those kind of words of wisdom and, mm-hmm. um, tough old lady, you know, she's five foot tall and she'll swing when, you know, swing on, you know, I've seen her, you know, if you mess with her family or anything like that, she's yeah. going to, 
she's going to get after you and um, still to this day. But uh, the grandparents, you know, they helped. And it was me and my brother and my mom, like, brought us really close together. And grandparents were there. And my mom had good friends. And um, she worked for the church for 31 years or something like that. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, I'll leave politics and religion out of, like, belief systems and stuff. Sure. But that place and had great people. And they helped us as a family. And the community was good. And, you know, whether you believe in organized religion or whatever the case may be like these people at that place were good and they helped us and and uh they gave her a good job for 30 something years with insurance and got braces and all the shit that we would have never been able to afford i got to go to catholic school till they asked me to leave um but (laughs) hold on hold on like you can't just brush over that i was just a troublemaker you know i just i've always had a problem with authority i just and um Mm -hmm. my brother was a really good student and I was fucking shit up and like, you know, he could stay if the other one just gets on down the road kind of thing. And so, yeah. Where were yeah. you going to school at? Uh, All Saints in Wycliffe. Yeah. Yep. So. Now, um, do, did you guys live in, were you, were you living in Menor or were you living over in Wycliffe? Um, we were bouncing, bouncing all around. All around. Um, probably started, we were in South Euclid maybe when we started. Menor, Wycliffe. Yeah. it was. We bounced around a little bit during that time. Um, ultimately we take a, cause the church was in Menor, but the school is in Wycliffe. So you'd take yep. a really long bus ride. I think one of the, the, uh, the straws that broke the camel's back is I took this kid's snow boots out, threw them out the window on the freeway and kind of caused a little bit of an accident. Um, and, uh, I think that might've been the, the one that they're like, yeah, he probably shouldn't come back anymore. <laughs> I, <laughs> see, and it's, I, I and I love the... I, I love that you share that stuff because again, but again, as we prepped and as we sat and kind of figured out where we wanted to go, right? Like that was something you wanted to talk about. You wanted to talk about like your childhood and kind of like how you've evolved and how like, so anecdotally, like it all makes sense. Right. And again, you still see snippets and I hear the little things you say, you know, and again, I go back to like, I mean, in high school, you know, you were running with a different group, but like, I mean, I became friends with Anthony Fatika just because, uh, you know, we, we played baseball together, you know, for a little while and everything. And that's, I think that's how I kind of got to know you and of you and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't tight with that group, but like, I mean, I knew who you were. Yeah. He sold my mom a car like three days ago. Of course he did. <laughs> that dude, he's a, he, I mean, I remember when he was running the jewelry store in the mall and I mean, he's a, He's been all over the place. Yeah, we, we we were always into something, you know, like it wasn't always illegal or whatever. Like we found something to sell for eight bucks that we bought for four bucks, whether it was one thing or another. And we always had a, a some kind of, you know, hustle going to to supplement the income that we did not have. And right. uh, we're, we're always figuring out some way or shape or form to, you know, get a car when we were 16, even if it was $400, but we figured out how to get rims on that thing and trade this and barter. And I got these things and I could grow up, go up to Detroit and sell this for that and come back. And, you know, whatever the case may be, we always figured out a way to like, you know, we would always pull our money together. I mean, I remember the days we'd take our hat off and we'd all throw two bucks, everything we had. I mean, we were great. We got $19. What can we get for $19? Okay. We get a pack of Billy Blunts with two 40 ounces, a, three dollar sandwiches and okay that's what we got for the day and like we just fucking it never was a thing like you didn't have money three days in a row like whatever you might have it i don't know it's it's we always stuck together and and it's that kind of loyalty is missed sometimes like as you get older um 
I, I'm a really good friends. I'm really blessed, you know, to have them in all, you know, yeah. aspects of life. But when you meet new people and stuff now, especially with the corporate culture and everything, and we're trying to save their own ass and, you know, plausible deniability and, you know, writing e- cryptic emails to like not really agree to anything or make a decision that way if it backfires, you could blame other people. And there's this, all this kind of, you know, corporate culture going on and I don't play that game at all. And right. uh, it, it's held me back in some ways and other ways. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to make the decision. I think's right. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. And I'm gonna stand up and be like, Hey, I fucked that up. But a lot of people don't do that anymore. And I think it's a lot where I came from, like your loyalty was tested. I mean, him, you know, walking down the street and we got beef with six guys and they come, I'm five, feet tall and i'm never outrunning anybody and especially you know like if, if they didn't stand and get down with me and like you know i mean take a way worse beating or you had something in your pocket that you weren't supposed to have and the cops pull you over and they throw that shit out of their pocket and they're in your car or something like that and you know there's those types of situations that you had to know the people that you were walking around with had your back whether it be in a fight or something else or something bad happens like you'd sit there and cry to them too you know and yeah. like it didn't matter but it was like you knew those people that you were with every day, like, you know, it was tested. It was right there. Like they got their ass whipped right with you or they, you know, got locked up with you and didn't snitch on you or like just, they were there when you really needed somebody. Now it's like, sometimes you don't really know, like, cause everyone's kind of out for themselves and individual behaviors. Like, I don't know. I think even now everyone's more isolated and you don't have to be with people. You don't have to look them in the eye. Mm-hmm. You don't shake hands anymore. They don't really like, they don't have this like, you know, I don't know if it's touching or being like proximity, but it's a lot different when you know somebody over a screen than you're sitting next to them every day. Very much so. And again, like I think what keeps coming up for me and listening to to you talk about like your crew and like, I mean, and it's even now, right? It, It comes down to the people you surround yourself with in your community, right? Like who are those people who have your back? Who are the people that you can bounce stuff off of? And again, I, 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 I'll say this publicly, like I'm, I'm grateful that you and I reconnected because the stuff that you and I have bounced each other off of, right? Like, and I, I consider you one of those people for me, but like, it's fascinating that the paths that we walk, right? You talk about being locked up, you talk about all these different things, but it's always around you're with people, right? And then we, and we're, I'm not going to go into COVID or anything like that, but like the, the isolation that caused people, like that people were forced upon, right? Like there, it forced a lot of people to reflect and understand what's important. And the one thing that I keep, as I talk to people that keeps coming up is community, right? When that gets, got stripped away, it forced people to assess who they were around or who they weren't around and where they wanted to be around. And like, that's, that's really fascinating that like, that's a red thread for you from youth all the way up till now. Yeah. Um, and in ways it brought me a lot closer to people, you know, like you're sitting there on your couch, I'm single. I don't have any kids. I live alone. Um, and I just made it a point to like reach out to somebody new every day. Like, um, like, you know, I have friends in Sweden that I went to college with that I, I love, you know, to death are amazing people. And like, we talk, you know, pretty, pretty regularly, but we talked every day when this thing happened or, yeah. you know, like, and we started all these playlists was something that, you know, one of my friends kind of put like three of us on a group text and we're like, let's start one. Like every week we'll each put three songs and like I put it and then you put it. And I started doing that with a bunch of other groups of friends yeah. and connecting others. And like, you know, I'd pick a song that was nostalgic that I thought they'd like, then try to surprise them with one that, you know, they might like, and then throw in the, and they, we kind of all did that. And music's like kind of something that always brings like just all different groups of people together. 
and you know, I might hate country music, but you know, I was talking to my friend earlier today is, uh, his girlfriend is, I think, uh, Tanya Tucker, I think it's the famous country yeah. star, yeah, yeah. granddaughter and like she's a phenomenal singer. I'm not a country fan, but I could tell the talent there, you know? Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to make you like country. And he's just peppering these songs at me. And like, oh, shit. <laughs> some, some of this stuff's good, you know? And it's like, you could recognize the talent, even though it's not your, your music, but it's stuck in our ways. And it was cool. Cause we were, you know, my friends are really in electronic music and I'm not really, and they would send some stuff. Oh, that's really dope. And I'm in, I'm into some stuff they're not. So, um, and it connected people that didn't know each other, like from Sweden to Florida to wherever. And now we're on these groups together and just sharing songs. And, um, I got in a clubhouse, uh, you know, for a little while yeah. during that time too, and met people like that I talk to every day still just from that just random clubhouse room, you know, and just yeah. have something <laughs> in common. And it was like, it's, uh, I think it's cool that, uh, I, you know, I, I could see myself just like, I could have got stuck on the couch after like the first like few days, like I hardly smoke weed anymore, but I was like, all right, going to the dispensary and like ordering pizza and I'm watching like the office 12 times in a row. And after like the first week, I'm like, I got to cut all this shit right now. Like cold Turkey, like unplug the Apple TV, throw out the weed, take the app off my phone. I'm like, I got 32 books that I had. That's, I counted them up. That's how many I've been reading four pages and bought them. And I'm like, I'm going to read all these books before I turn the TV back on. I'm going to work out every morning before I do anything else. And I like, I had to do it that way. It had to be that extreme or I would have, it would have been a month, two months, three months. And I would have put on 30 pounds and just not got anything accomplished and just been a blob on the couch. Um, so I used that time as much as I could to, uh, you know, to improve different aspects of my life. And everybody in my business has a hundred dead projects on their laptop, right? One liner, one page, half a screenplay. And I just started going through every one of those. Like, is this something maybe I'll try, you know, and send it to my friends like, Hey, this, this is up your alley. You know, I, you're in a screenplay like this. Check this. Oh, oh, shit. It's not really my thing, but I know somebody that would like this, you know? Right. Um, so we just started resurrecting all these just dead one-liners and projects off of our computers and talking about it and sharing scripts. And um, that was like another thing that just came out of having some time. Finally, we work our fucking ass off, you know, all the time. And, uh, and in most businesses these days, especially in America, it's like our how hard can you work? How many hours can you work in one week? And how little can you sleep? You don't ever have like time to like stop all this work you're doing for other people and, and kind of invest in yourself. Um, and that's, and that completely took me on a different path too. Cause yeah. like, okay. Like I'm doing this for other people all the time. Like, why can't I do it for myself? And then started talking to my friends. We're the ones in the shit together every day. Well, you know, there's huge corporations somewhere making 99% of the, the money and, you know, and everything. And, we could do it on a smaller scale and be as impactful with some of the things that we're doing and, and do it our way. So trying to find the yin and the yang between those now and doing these big projects for the companies we've been working for and our own side projects that, you know, could have a, you know, a different meaning, whether it's you know, like helps people or just helps <laughs> us be creative or brand, you know, there's always something that, you know, good that's coming out of these. So I'm going to continue to do that. I think. For sure. I mean, and again, I think that a lot of people develop that, like they were, they, they searched for something, they were looking for something to add or do, or, and again, we've got two kids. So, I mean, you know, we were, Corey and I were both working full time and juggling them. And then when they got back to daycare, it was great, but then work and, but like, had none of that happened, this wouldn't have happened. Like the, I, I've thought about doing a podcast for years, like, because again, I love people. I love all that stuff, but like, okay. And finally it was just like, all right, well, I'm going to do it. Right. So 
it's like I think it stirred up a lot of different things. I know it stirred up a lot of different things and a lot of different people, particularly depending on where you're at and what the restrictions were and all that. But even then, the whole country was shut down for a while. So again, it it was a forced moment of you know space creation. I want to go. So you t- and you and I talk at length quite a bit, but like you've got all these projects. But one thing I want to go back to the music, okay? Because like. Muse, I, I watched you light up. Like I, I hear you light up around music. And again, when we first when we got cut off, right? You were talking about you. Know, you got signed to a record deal, and then you were then that fell apart, and you throwing your hands up and everything. Can you t- like? I want to. I want to understand like where your love for music came from, and then also kind of where you're at with it right now. Yeah, thanks for keeping me on track because I, I I'm all over the place. All but, good. Um probably when I was like 12, right around that same time, all that shit was going on. It was like, you know, for people that didn't grow up in a place like Cleveland, it's like worthless for six months of the year. You know, yeah. it's freezing. Like you get to where you're going, but it's great. It's depressing as shit. And like, you know, you're locked down in the winter, you know, we didn't have money. We had, you know, three, we had three channels on TV back then. Yep. No cable. Like we had eight VHS tapes that watched a thousand times. So like music was the thing that, it was, it was always new. You turn on the radio and it's always something. And then, um, I like attention. I just, you know, I, like, I always like to perform. I told jokes. I was a kid at, you know, Christmas parties, like, you know, whatever, you know, four or five years old, making, you know, everybody look at me kind of shit, you know, and uh, I loved rap music and hip hop. So I started, you know, writing all the time and, um, doing little shows here and there. And like, that just became like the dream, um, sucked at sports, you know, like Cleveland is a, you know, they're in the, city or the burbs like very good at football very yeah. good at basketball um all these you know major sports i boxed a little bit and then ended up wrestling um and like because you could you know compete against people who are the same size but like wasn't really my thing i like to fight a lot but not with rules and like that kind of messed it all up and i'd wrestle against guys i knew i could kick their ass and they'd hold me down and the most frustrating thing in the world um i wish mma was a thing more back then because i, I would have right. probably done pretty well um but the music was always something it, it brought us all together. Um, I liked to perform. And then right around that time is when bone got huge and mm. um, we did everything we could to be wherever they were at, you know, yeah. like we would hunt them down and like they were doing a show. We try to open up for them. If they were doing something, we would try to do it. And um, there's nobody big that made it out of Cleveland, like for anything really at that time, a few athletes and stuff like my stepsister went to college or at the prom with Elvis Gerbach. Yeah. And like met him and uh, Desmond Howard, who and you know obviously went to. Yeah, the they went to St. Joe's. Yep, and then yep. went to Michigan. Yep. You know, got a lot of shit for that. But um, those are like the most famous people I knew of at the time, really. Um, and then Bone disappears for a while, and all of a sudden they're on MTV with Easy, and they're like at the biggest, you know, the biggest record in the world. At and like holy shit, and they had dirty shirts on, and like they were looking all bummy, just like we did at the time. They had a big video and. Of course, like most record deals, they got screwed on the first one and didn't make any money. But all of a sudden, they're, you know, like with Mariah Carey and Biggie. They were all over. Yeah. Yeah. It's all anyone listened to for like in Cleveland. Every car going by was, you know, 94, probably every car. Like it's all. I don't care if you're from the suburbs or old, young. Everyone had a story about knowing my cousin's brother's dog walker used to know Busy Bone or whatever. Right. Yeah. So it was, it changed like the, I remember that summer changed like everything. Like the mood of the city was different feel you know maybe it's just because it was my little world and like i was so into it but everybody had like okay look so somebody could make it they could do what they do and 
blow up, you know, and it was hard to do. Well, that's one of the things like Cleveland. And again, I think a lot of those Midwest towns, right? Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of pride, right? And they get like pride in your city. I mean, again, I had somebody just asked me on Instagram, like, what was your favorite sports moment? My favorite sports moment was watching the Cavs win the cha- win a championship, right? Like that, yeah. but unless you're from those areas, like, I don't think you, and I'm not taken away from anywhere else, but like, it just, it's different, right? Like, I mean, so if you're talking 94, 95, I mean, we didn't have much. The Indians were pretty good, that, that kind of stuff. But again, like this was bone making it, bone thugs in harmony, like them taking that step and being visible and be like, that was something that, Clevelanders could hang their hat on, right? Like I'm from Cleveland, right? Like that's wait, these guys are from Cleveland, no way. And that so, like you went, you opened up for for that. Like talk to me about that. Yeah, like it, ironically, like one of the first shows I ever did, and then the last show I did, it was like '94, and then 2003, we're both opening for Bone, and it was for, and UNLV in 1993. Just happened to be uh, a Bone show, and then that was the last time I've ever performed like in front of people. So it's been a long time, but. Um, you know, they're doing little, uh, shows at Severance Town Center, Randall Park Mall, places like that, that are both gone. Yeah. Like now, but you know, it's, you know, they have 20 acts and you just jump up there and we had our little groups back then and thought we were cool. And, you know, just, we were fearless back then, you know, it's like now you get nervous. I get nervous talking to you on this and we're friends and the people are going to see this (laughs) and I misspeak and I'm used to being behind the camera. And back then I didn't give a shit, you know, like. I would get up there in front of a thousand people and just fucking fuck up and keep going and like didn't care. And if someone wanted to fight me, I had 20 homeboys with me that like, we'll, we'll get down, you know, like who cares? Now it's like, oh man, I'm like embarrassed. I'm misspeaking. If I say the wrong thing, I'm going to get canceled, you know, like. But, okay. Stay there though, real quick. Like, and I want to know why that is, right? Because again, obviously the, the shit you've been through, you went through as a kid and all that, like you, like you hardened up and you were surrounded by your people and everything. And obviously things change, but like, to me, that would be something that you could, that translates to where you're at right now from a, from a confidence and that from that perspective, where, like, where's the, like that disconnect? Yeah. I'm still confident in myself, really. It's just like how other people react to things now. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to be one of those, like, you know, participation trophy, like blah, blah, sure. blah, guys. Like there's, there's, people need to act in a certain way. And I think it was too far one way and people pull, you know, every, there's no, there's no compromise in the middle anymore of anything. It's like, you have to go far left or far right. And not just have like normal conversations and like hmm. people misspeak. And then they're like, people go after their fucking head and try to like, yeah. Or they find something from 15 years ago that wasn't even that big of a deal back then. It should have been, it was probably insensitive, but it wasn't in the climate. So, you know, anybody that is involved in any sort of entertainment now is so afraid of anything they're going to say. Sure. You know, or two, because one person has a vendetta against you or like you're the target of a certain group that week. And, you know, like, it doesn't matter all the good that you've done. And I've seen it happen with people over and over again. And some of them are terrible human beings and they deserve to get fried like the Harvey Weinstein, the Bill Cosby's of the world that like actually did physically assault to people. But you're know, trying to dig through somebody's old tweets from 15 years ago to find one thing that they said wrong and then like that's your crusade now instead of actually fixing the real problems in the world. Like that's the kind yeah. of shit that that's got me like not wanting to always speak, you know, publicly it. about, especially, you know, we sign NDAs and everything on every show you do. And, you know, there's always gray area and stuff you're not supposed to talk about. So, always, you know, don't want to say the wrong thing and then you know, make an issue for somebody else that becomes my own issue. But confidence in myself as, as you know, like anybody else, it's gone up and down. 
Yeah. And uh, when I started doing music again, it was way low just because, you know, out of practice. But um, I don't really care. Like the people that love me, love me no matter what. So if you don't know me and you think I suck at something, like I don't give a shit. Like hopefully you'll give me some constructive criticisms. So right. I'll, I'll get better. But you better be doing whatever you're criticizing better than I am or I'm not going to listen to you. You know, so, I, dude, I dig it. I, well, what you said, though, right? Like there's a couple things I, I peel out from that, right? Like you got to be comfortable with yourself and what you're putting out there, right? And if you don't like it, that, fine, tough, right? But that's part of it, right? And I think we all go through those moments of having the confidence in ourselves, and we've got the confidence, but yet putting ourselves out there to essentially be judged. And it's like, it's this, you step over this threshold and there's, there's a moment where you're just like, man, I just don't give a rip. And it, it it's freeing, but at times you step back and like, it's the, it's the natural ebbs and flows. And the other thing that you said that I absolutely love is like, look, let's be in conversation. If, if you don't like it, or if you think I could do better, right. I mean, we've determined that people are very quick to judge and pass judgment and everything. But like, if you're going to do that, let me know how I can improve or what. And I don't necessarily need to take it, you know, I'll receive it, but I don't need to apply it. But like, for me, it's being in the conversation with people and like sitting and because if you can have that conversation around that, that means somebody actually is paying attention enough to you and what you're doing to be able to then provide the feedback. Yeah. If somebody just tells you you suck without anything to back that up, like, they're probably not more successful than you. They're probably not very happy. Yeah. You know, misery loves company. If somebody's like, Hey, your cadence was bad there. And if you, you know, your bar structure is a little messed up on that one. If you, you know, you're, you're a little off beat here or like you're being a little too wordy, like you're trying to be too clever, maybe cut a couple of the words down and get you back where you need to go. In the pot. Like I'll listen to that stuff all day and then we'll have a discussion about it. But like, you suck. Like, Cool. like it's subjective you know and then, thank you and i'm moving on younger yeah it, it would hurt my feelings more you know but you know it's it's not like that anymore i'm, I'm very comfortable where i am in life and with the people that are around me and um this is like my midlife crisis maybe going back through music and instead of getting an earring in a corvette like used to be like the the stigma when we were yeah. you know 45 year old guy back then but um yeah i, I think people are able to find their own people now, you know, back in the day, like wherever you grew up, like that's the people you're fucking stuck with. Mm -hmm. You, you know, like I have a bunch of friends that are gay now and like where we grew up, like there probably was a lot of gay kids, but they would never, it wasn't talked about. Yeah. You know? And like, even if you're in a smaller town, you went to high school with 40 kids, like you came out and get your ass kicked every day and like be miserable, you know? And then, but now you can move somewhere or find you know, a, a group of people like whatever you like, you know, if you like jazz music back in the day, probably would have got trash kicked where we grew up. But like now you like, that's, it's cool. You know? So it's right. like, Kenny G come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't consider that jazz. Music. <laughs> but, I hear you. Yeah. But it's like, you could find your own people and you know, people that dig the stuff that you do and people need to be more open-minded too. You know, you don't, you might not like it, but try it. And you know, it might not be Kenny G, but it might be Miles Davis it might not be that or, I don't know, you know, people, yeah. people think sushi is crazy where we grew up still. That's true. You know? It's it's very true. And again, it's, it's also interesting to take a step back and get outside of that silo or that bubble. Right. Because again, I remember whenever I would go back and I, I went to school at the university of Toledo, but like even just going back from, from there, or like when we moved away or would go back home, it's just, and this is nothing again, my family's still there. Right. Like, I mean, nothing against it, but like, it's just a different it's a different viewpoint. And the, 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 when I was growing up, I would have been completely 
comfortable going back there, right? Like that was kind of almost a little bit of a dream. And my wife and I, we actually ended up going back to, we moved back to Cleveland and then some stuff happened. I lost my job and kind of put us on this trajectory, but like, okay, it's like time to go get out. Right. It's like, so you're absolutely right. And again, I think that Cleveland's very special. And I had somebody ask me this on Instagram the other day, where's what's the favorite state that you've lived in? And it's, it's Ohio. Right. And I say that because again, I've lived in, we've lived all over the place in Indiana in Georgia in Texas, you know, now here in Oregon, Ohio's where I grew up and it's always going to have a special place in my heart, but like, that's where I'm from, but that's not where, like, that's not where home is, you know? And it's, it's taken me getting out and about to understand that like that evolution needed to happen from a personal perspective. And obviously you being in Vegas, it's the complete until like it's a polar opposite in some senses from where we grew up. Yeah. There's good and bad. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, that gave me a really good foundation. I don't know any of my neighbors here. You know, I knew one neighbor upstairs. He was actually from Cleveland. He passed away. It was fucking really depressing. Um, he's a really, he was old guy jazz singer jazz musician <laughs> ironically enough um and uh he was 80 something years old probably and uh he's the only neighbor i ever talked to and i've been here since 2008 um and people just move you know so much so i i miss a lot of the community and then like the people yeah. you grew up with and everybody being there and like you know everyone you know you got your pizza everybody in cleveland's got their pizza spot they'll argue about it but every every shopping center's got a pizza joint like mm-hmm. I like Luigi's. I like Long. I like you know whatever. What was like, your What was yours? Ah, uh, I mean, Mama Santa's was probably the one like that we would always go to, like yeah. in Little Italy, and that's where my grandparents grew up. And then, um, I don't know. I, it, it it would always go back and forth. Um, we always, Longos we'd always go to in Luigi's. Luigi's um, was Luigi's was our go-to. Like Fridays, we would get the sheet pizza, yeah, sheet pizza run man. through the drive-through, and I like I, I, it was Luigi's for us. I I do know that it's the sheet, and like there's a Cleveland bar right across the street here, and you have to give 24 hour notice to get a sheet pizza. But I could order 30 circular ones right now, but they make you do the 24 hour thing for the sheet, and, and I don't know why the square is just so much better, but yeah. it's just like a nostalgic thing or whatever. But it was it was that and. uh uh, you know, going to the feast in Little Italy and stuff growing up, like you always got that. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of things that I love about being, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm from Cleveland. It made me yeah. tough. I could take a punch. Um, you know, like I could get through these dirty winters and the, the depression that comes along with it and come up the other side happy. And, um, I learned how to work hard and, mm-hmm. you know, people work hard there, you know, for very little sometimes, but they, they work hard. Um, I don't know a lot of lazy people that I grew up around and I, I think people are, you know, they're, they're kind for the most part. And, you know, they're, they, you know, they're, they're kind until it's somebody like comes into their circle and tries to disrupt things. You know, it's like, uh, it seems like you'll stick together there. And, but the other side, fuck the other side, like you'll go to war when you have to, whether figuratively or literally. So uh, loyalty and, and the hard work and then just being, uh, you know, it is a tough place. You know, like people don't fight anymore, especially like around here, it doesn't seem. Hmm. And I, I don't, I'm not condoning like the violence, but like the threat of getting punched in the face goes away. Then people act completely different and they could say things and disrespect people and, and act a certain way over the computer. And well, that's, know. that's the other thing, right? Everything is done, done through the phone, you know? So it, it's, it's a different type of attack. Yeah. The bullying and stuff like, um, 
I mean, I don't, I don't know if you saw that at Mentor High School, they did a, uh, a documentary a few years back about all the suicides. Um, it was like led the whole country in suicide. And it was oh. like, these girls were just bullying these other girls literally to death, like social media and everything. And, um, you know, in our, in our day, sound like an old man, like at least you could like defend yourself. Like they bully you at least maybe could whip their ass or get a punch in, but, and, mm-hmm. and it would go home and it'd be over at least till the next day. But now they just, you know, it's like a different kind of like relentless. warfare, you know, like at least shit you should be able to learn how to fight. Maybe you're good. You know, hope you had a big cousin or something and you could figure it out. But now it's just like, I don't know. People just, the, the respect level is gone and they can't talk with each other because it's over Facebook and you can say mm-hmm. anything you want. And, you're sitting at a table with somebody you're going to act differently than anonymously over a computer where sure. there's no repercussions and not even necessarily like a, the threat of violence, just looking someone in the eye, like you, you'll have some empathy and compassion to that person that you might not have when you don't know who they are. And, you know, you could, you could feel a lot different when you're in the room and you're talking to somebody that may have gone through something that you don't agree with, you know, um, it's easy to just not humanize them when it's, like so you're against like gay marriage sit down and get two gay people that love each other and listen to why they think it's have a, fine. Conver- have a conversation and educate yourself and, and that's a change yeah and that's like for me right and again two young kids you know all the cyberbullying, all that stuff and again it, it, you feel and you see and it terrifies me but like it's also i notice because i go back and i'll watch my pod the podcast interviews and even whenever i was kind of cutting the stuff from our first session i i tend to like my camera's up here, but I tend to like, I look down because that's where you're at. Because for me, it was like, that's how we were raised. It was eye contact. Yeah. And, but that's how, that's how I feel what's going on. That's how, from a conversation perspective, you can like, I can feel you get amped up and I feel the energy and I like, but that, so that, and that's even the hard thing. You can do that through the screen, but you have to try, right? You got to pay attention. You got in, so I, I completely agree, right? There's nothing that takes it goes away from the face to face. And, you know, if you had beef, you were able to squash it. And, you know, and I, I think that's what's, if I, I want to kind of touch, and I also want to keep being cognizant of time and I'm, I'm watching that too, but like the space you're in right now, right? Ultimate fighter and all that. Like, I mean, these people, you know, <laughs> they fight for a living. They like, and, and you're privy to that. I mean, you're executive producer of the ultimate fight. Like I've watched the show. I see the shit that goes down. Right. And so you want to talk about like, you know, physicality and beef and all of that bubbling up like that. I'd imagine that happens fairly, at least in the ultimate fighter, it seems like it happens fairly frequently, but like that's the epitome of people working things out, even though it feels it, it's different. You, can you kind of shed some light on on that and like the whole ultimate fighter in that space? Well, some of the people I know that are the closest have fought each other, you know, yeah. and you get you get a respect from somebody when you put you push yourself where you never thought you could go. Most people, even if they get in fights growing up, it's not 15 minutes. It gets broken up. It hits the ground. People jump in. The cops come, whatever. Like when you go to war with somebody like that and it, you leave every bit of yourself out there and you have, if you're not human at all, if you don't respect the other person after going through that and also you settle your shit, you know, and the ultimate fighter house, if people got a problem, there's going to usually be an opportunity to square up and, and handle that. And most men or women that go through that, even if they take that loss, they gain or earn respect, um, for their opponent. And they, they're all going through certain things and, um, everyone's story is different, you know, and there's, 
college athletes that just didn't make it to the NFL and, and couldn't get rid of that, that urge. And like that, they wanted to compete and there's people that was like their only chance was through fighting and everyone, you know, in the middle. And that's one thing that kind of binds everybody together this season. We have men and women, we have male heavyweights and females that are 125 pounds. And like those women are tough, you know, they're determined mm-hmm. and they all, all their stories are different, but similar in the way that like, people told me they couldn't do this. They, you know, they told them they weren't going to be shit in sports and, and like, they didn't, they didn't listen, you know, they didn't care what someone else said. They're going to go get their ass kicked over and over and over again until they get good at it. And that's why they're so good now, you know, and, you know, most women still only train with men or there's very few women in their gym. It's 10 to one. And, you know, in this sport, it's tough, but they get more respect in this sport than, I mean, I think volleyball would be the one that I think like, at, at a worldwide level, like women get respect in volleyball and, mm-hmm. and fighting, you know, from men and from like the average fan. Those are the two sports that you could probably, you know, uh, and when soccer, when we're, you know, America's yeah. front runners, when we're really good, like, uh, you know, respect that. But women in fighting, like I very rarely hear any shit like, oh, they're girls or like anything like that. They get the respect um, for going out there and they're, they're tougher in many ways than the men. Um, like I see it all the time. These girls get injured and they don't want to even see the doctor. They're like, fuck no. Like, could he, could he tell me I can't fight? No. And then I'm not going there. Right. You know, a lot of times the guys will look for a way out. I hope that doctor tells me, you know, but these girls are like, they, you know, they, they're tough and they're more flexible and they're, they stink quicker than men in, in the ring. And, um, it took them a while to catch up just cause you know, women into the sport was late, but yeah. they made up, they, they, um, the distance fast. They close that yeah. gap really quickly. Well, and again, I, I just listened to, uh, Juliana Pena and on Joe Rogan. Cause again, like I, I know that you, like, you know her and we've chatted, but like, I wanted to sit and understand it. Right. Like that story, like that's the stuff that like, it's fascinating. And like how she talked about clo- like what she had to go through and how she closed the gap and all that stuff. And like, but what's funny is, in that interview, and I don't know if you listened to the full thing, but like she talked about uh, the last fight that she was at, she was sitting next to Chuck Liddell, but the the fight before Chuck was sitting there going, oh, I can't believe these, this is women's fighting and this and that and all that stuff. And like, that's my big takeaway. That was a takeaway, right? Cause I sat and I, I, my ultimate fighter remember, you know, it's Tito, it's Chuck, it's all like all of that stuff. And Again, it goes back to I'm going to bring it back to the conversation that we had even just before we got into this, right? Like, if you take the time, you sit and you have the conversation with people and understand why, and like, like hash it, have a conversation. Nine times out of ten, it can change your viewpoint, and if it doesn't, that's fine. But at least you've taken that step. And like when I heard that, I'm like, oh, like it, I, I was taken aback by it a little bit, but also right, like. Because it's the old school mentality. It's it's all of those things. So I'm thrilled that it's moving forward in that direction. Yeah, and Chuck had a right hand and takedown defense. He was not a skilled athlete. He just had a chin and then that went and he got slumped all the time. So he could say whatever he wants, but his skill set was not great. You know, yeah, you know, bitter old men, you know, that uh. They missed, they missed like, you know, they missed their prime. They're a bunch of uncle Rico's, you know, and it's like, cool. <laughs> but you know, people like Juliana, like they, no one ever gave them a chance. She, she trained in a gym and a, a garage. She still does sick jitsu, like some dude's garage and Spokane, up in, Washington. Up in Washington. Yeah. You know, like 
when she tried out for the show, she was three and two. She lost two fights in a row. They didn't want her on the show. The the um, the one before her arm got ripped out of the socket, and she fought the ref for stopping the fight. That one she lost before that, she got ran over by a car and had her whole face broken and went into that fight. And those were her two losses. And um, you know, I. I saw, you know, I'm, I'm wrong sometimes, trust me, but I saw something and I, I talked them into putting her on the show that season. Um, she fought the number one girl, um, in the whole weight division in the world, Shana Baszler at the time and beat her Had you know, in the house, uh, beat one of the best boxers in the world in the finale, Jessica Rocosi, who was a world champion when she was not supposed to win either one of those fights, got in the UFC, beat, you know, the, you know, who's who at the time then. Yeah stopped and had a family in the middle of that had a beautiful daughter came back and got the biggest upset in UFC history yeah. and no one ever thought she was going to win any of those fights she except for her except for herself though from from listening to that right like i mean she never wavered you know and i uh, i'd interview her over and over and over again during the season and uh she, i'd never heard her say she wasn't going to fucking do it you know and like i know when people are bullshitting me yeah. and i i said anybody that knows me said knows that season 18 with 10 years ago, I said, she's going to be world champion. There's been a few other people that I've known and they've either gotten really close or have become the champion. And I just, you know, I'm wrong sometimes and people have became champions. I didn't see it, but she was going to die trying, you know, she was not going to stop. And, you know, guys like Kamar Usman, another guy like that dude is not going to be stopped. He's just not, you know, there's something different about certain people that it's a drive. I don't know where it comes from. And, uh, you know, I wish you could bottle it and sell that shit at, at some points, but like that was one, you know, not, not going to be stopped. Like yeah. everybody tried, you know, you, you know, people said she's too pretty. Then they said she's too ugly. Then he said, you know, you're muscular. Yeah. That's not what girls are supposed to. Why are you putting makeup on? You're a fighter. Like all these shit, they try to break, you know, people down, especially the girls, they attack them physically and they try to, you know, pick at, you know, these are grown men, like picking at women, you know, and then, it's bullshit. Like, you know, it, and that's, but Gary, that's the shit that we go back to, right? Like the people like sit and have a damn conversation. That's what I, that's what I love about like the connected nature of everything right now. You, if you want to have a damn conversation, but yeah. stop judging people, stop, like take care of your own shit. And sorry that yeah. like, I, for whatever reason, this is caught a nerve for me, but like, look, you do you take care of your people. And then if you want to be in conversation, much to your point, like if you've got feedback, constructive, like let's have some conversation, but like, don't put other people down. Like what's the, like I, I got off like that fires me up because I hate, like, I hate That's that cool. shit. And it affects different people differently. You know, yeah. like she's the toughest person I know, but she's also a sensitive person too. And doesn't yeah. want her daughter reading that shit one day and stuff like that, that people say fucking crazy things. You know, and especially, you know, I, I work with Misha Tate and Juliana, both of them, you know, like they, people could say like, they would never say that shit to them in person. And like this, like the disrespect that the people women troll. get compared to the men. It's like, how could you be a grown ass man? Like saying this shit to people, male or female, and like they're relentless with it. And it's, it, it turns them off of you wanting to like be on social media, which is a great tool to actually connect with your fans. We never got that as kids. Nope. Like, you know, I like Jerry Rice. I never got to talk to him like Webster Slaughter, whoever the case may be. Like we never got a chance to like see what they're thinking and on a day-to-day basis. And we have the access to these athletes. And then there's all these idiots that have to talk all this, you know, like you can talk shit about their performance, right? I, I, I'm a sports fan. I'll say people suck. 
I said Kobe sucked for 20 years. He was one of the best players of all time. Just didn't like him, you know, whatever. Right. Like, you, yeah, you suck as a basketball player. You suck as a football player. Cool. I get it. We're, you put yourself in the spotlight, you should take some criticism for the sport. Fine. But the personal attacks and, like, trying to get, you know, the, this nasty, nasty things of sexual nature or, you know, racism, like, you know, they say, like, they push and they push and they push. You know, and it's it, you can't weed through that sometimes to get to the good stuff because it's just all there. And people like to troll more, and it's frustrating because you see even the toughest people like get they've had enough. They don't even want to like partake in that anymore. And there's good you know there are fans out there that want to talk to them, and you have to get through all this shit. These mm-hmm. people saying the craziest things. I, I don't know. I just misery needs company or likes company or whatever that's saying. Yeah, is. misery loves company. It's crazy. And they want to get the reaction too. I always tell her, don't fucking react to these people. I tell all these fighters that, like, when you get off the Ultimate Fighter, just don't react to them because that's what they want. And mm-hmm. then you give them a little, um, and it's, it's it's with the you know the women and the men. People just fucking they want to get. As soon as you say one thing back, yep. they're like, I got them. And then they're you know, I don't know. It's a, the fighting one's different because you know you can't whip their ass like so you're just, a yeah. player or something. You could say your serve sucks, but like talking to these people like all crazy like that, you know, you would never do that like Uh-oh. in real life. Um, I know I got off on a tangent. Oh, you're good. No, and hey, I'll, and I'll throw the open invite. Any any of the fighters that you know you think are want to tell have a really dope story. Like, I mean, again, that's what that's what this is about, right? Like Juliana, Anisha, you know, whomever, right? Like, I'm happy to tell a, tell a story, but like, but that's the thing, and that's I think that's kind of a good like segue into kind of wrapping up because. Like, I know we've jumped all around and I know we've just touched small pieces of your story, right? But like, I think that's the coolest part, right? Everybody has a story. That's why I started this. And, you know, just even the, you know, the 30 minutes that we recorded the first time and then, you know, 20 to 30 and then, you know, now we're coming up on 60 here, right? Like the window to like, to your soul and to like, to what like makes you tick, man. Like it's, it becomes even more clear to me. And again, I feel as though, that you and I could have continue conversation. And actually I think that I do want to try and do a, a follow-up because I want to dig in more like on the music piece and some of that. So we're, I think we're going to schedule that kind of stuff, but like, that's like, that's what's so special about like the human connection, the interaction and what you talked about, right? Like being able to connect, to share, to feel, you know, whether you're listening to the podcast, you're watching us here, right? Like that's, that's why we do this, right? Like it's, it's the emotions, it's the ups, the downs. And like, I'm, I'm for like, I'm truly grateful that you shared what you did because a lot of the stuff that you did, man, like realistically, you didn't have to, you, you could like, but that's a window to the soul of who you are, right? The, 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 you know, dealing with the, the police stuff, the everything with your dad, like all of the shit, how, like how it shaped you and the put you on the trajectory that you're on, right? Like that's, what's special to me. So like, I, like I always, as I get towards the end, like try to make sure that I give a moment of gratitude like that. And that's what this is. Like, I'm grateful that you felt comfortable sharing this with me, with our, with the listeners. And like, I want to continue to help elevate you and share that story more. So like, man, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate it. I think, you know, the more people are more comfortable sharing their stories, the good and the bad and um, the better, you know, everyone's got stuff in common. They don't even know. And, yeah. you know, I might've had some things that sound crazy and then you have no idea what the next person's going through and it might sound crazy to them or it might not be, it might be very little things, but 
those little things, you know, they, they build up if you can't share them or talk and find common ground or, you know, I know growing up, a lot of times people think they, they're the only ones with these problems. High school, especially is like the end of the world's everything for people in high school, you know, and there's so much depression and suicide and these things. It's like such a blip on the radar in your whole life yeah. just to get through that three or four years. And there's people, you know, that should be helping those age kids more than anything. Cause just get the fuck, stick it out for like one or two years and get the fuck away from that place. And, and you're going to be fine. A lot of people don't make it through. You know, and there's there's so much, you know, extraneous shit now that they have to deal with. Um, I try to talk to kids as much as I can and just say like, hey, I was way more of a fuck up than you are at your age, you know, and, you know, I'm not super rich or famous or anything like that, but I enjoy my life. I enjoy what I do. You know, I have enough money to live and take care of, you know, multiple members of my family and my friends when they need it. And like, it's and it's not even about the money. It's like if you could just make enough to sustain yourself and do mm-hmm. something that you're going to enjoy. And kind of just full circle back to the beginning when I went to fucking hotel college, you know, because that, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even have this movie and TV thing in my head yet. Yeah. It was music at the time, but like, you can make money off your art and your passions and shit now, especially with the internet, yep. NFTs, you know, any, anybody Pick could poison. now, like, you could do it now. It used to be possible to like press up the CDs you need thousands of dollars or to get on the shelves in a music store. Or to like get on a label, it was damn near impossible. Get hit by lightning, you know. But now, determination, and you just keep getting better, and surround yourself with the right people, and come up with you know clever marketing campaigns, and you know it, it's all there. You have all the tools. This laptop I'm staring at now, I can make the best album you've ever heard. I could make art. I could, yeah, you know, it's, it's do money. this, right? Yeah, like, this is the Jetsons, man. Like this is, <laughs> for us, like, for sure. Yeah. And that's the thing. The possibilities are endless. And I think that's the cool thing. And again, that's some of the stuff that you and I go back and forth on. And, um, you know, I, and I love ideating and kind of fig- figuring out how we're like, how we're going to continue to move forward and bring our passions to life and all that stuff. Um, if, if anybody has questions for you, Again, like where, like more on where you've come from, about your story, about your music, about all that stuff. Like, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Because I'll make sure that I'll, I'll link everything in the description, and we'll we'll put it all up. But like, what's the best way to connect with you? Uh, Instagram probably would be the best, and like I'll just ramble. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, as busy as I am, like I love people, and, yeah. and like I will make time for anybody. Um, to tell what, you know, my story. And more importantly, like I like to tell other people's stories. That's literally what I do for a living. And people might think their story is boring and it's probably not, you know? And if it's so boring, the most boring story, that's exciting because everybody else's shit's crazy. So if yours is so boring and now it becomes interesting because it's different, right? So it it, it doesn't matter what you do. You have, you know, you have something that other people are going to be interested in. You can contribute to every conversation. Your life is different than everyone else's. Um, and I'm all about giving the platforms to people. That's, that's my, my true talent is finding talented people and, and giving them a platform, whether it's fighting or music or, these, you know, any of the other shows that I've done, like I like to, you know, set the stage and let them be themselves. And, 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 you know, sometimes it doesn't work, but I'm going to put you in a spot where I think, you know, you have a large audience or the audience that is right for you. And then it's time for you to perform. I can't do it all, but like whether it's short stories or big stories or whatever, I like to tell people's, you know, it's the, the truth is always better, you yep. know, 
you could be the best writer in the world, but they're, the true stories are always going to be better because they're real. But I mean, but like that's what you said is why I do this and what I love to do, right? So again, that's another th- reason why we kind of vibe about this. Like you've looked at my guests and the people that have been on, right? Like it's volleyball, it's, you know, former coaches, it's, you know, people in the cannabis space, it's executive producer from the other, like everybody has a story. I'm just, I'm just kind of the conduit and the platform to be able to bring that to life. And like, that's, you can hear it in my voice. You can see like, that's what fires me up. I love being able to do that. So like everybody's got a story. It's just a question of, you know, and if it makes a difference in one person's life, that's again, that goes back to my first episode with Matt. Like that's the simple goal. If it makes, if it makes a connection or an impact in somebody's life, I want to tell the story and that's, that's it. It's never just one. Cause you make that, you help that person. They're going to help the next man and Correct. the next man. And like they say in the hood, each one, teach one, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, end world hunger, whatever, one person at a time, one at a time you know, man. You mentor one person, you help them on that one day, that could have been the worst day of their life. And you just give them a hand with something and fucking changes their whole life. You know, just like that, just one little, one little thing, you know, if, if I didn't get that job, if that, you know, if he didn't take me to Burlington, go factory and buy me a fucking $12 dress shirt and, you know, put his neck on the line at the very beginning of his career. Like there's no way I'd be sitting here talking to you. I was seven days away from going back to Cleveland and probably selling drugs or doing a factory job that I did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's this close. And I got a, when I left that building, I ripped the number seven off the wall that we were building number seven. I have it on my wall here in my living room, every place I moved, I've, you know, it was put it up. And I was like kind of this reminder uh, of the good and the bad. Cause I I had a great times back then. We were rapping, we had proofs and we were together and we had parties and like, it was, it was, it was a great time in my life, but when it ended at the right time before anything really bad happened and like, you know, it was time to grow up in some way, shape or form and living 15 or 20 deep in a, you know, three bedroom apartment with no front door was not the shit back then. And, no. uh, so. But it's got you to this point here. And like, that's, that, that's it, man. I mean, it's all, it's about the journey and where we've come from and being able to celebrate that. Um, I got one quite one last question that I want to ask you. And again, it's, it's a simply a complex one and um answer it how you choose but like who is gary defranco is my final question shit i, I don't know i think uh i change all the time you know and, and i um, i'm willing to to evolve but i try to stay like the core is the same you know there's a kid from cleveland that like doesn't take anybody's shit and when you tell me i can't do something i'm gonna do it harder and if you tell one of my friends or family they can't do something i'm gonna do everything i can to make them succeed and, you know, at the end of the day, I want to just help people do their thing. If you're passionate about something, I don't care what it is. If you're going to work hard, like I want to help you do that, whether you're writing or basketball or podcast or whatever, you know, I, I have everything I need. I got tons of shit, more shit than I'll ever need. Like seeing people succeed and be happy. And if I could help them 1%, like, I mean, if it's like selfishly now because of the own, my, you know, the own feelings that I get, um, it is what it is. Cause I think I got enough shit. I got the car I want. I got the shoes I want. I live where I want to live. Like, I don't care about more crap. I just want people to be happy and like contribute art and passion and things to this world. Um, you know, that's, I guess that's it. Like I want to be, there, there's a song and he's, he, I don't want to get too far off course, but he's talking about how there's the rocket ship and it sends the space shuttle. And then 
bursts off and it goes, right? And the space shuttle goes up and that's what goes into space. But that rocket ship's actually what got there. And then it goes off and lets the shuttle go do its thing. Like, I want to be that rocket ship. Just push people to where they want to go and help them in any way I can with the connections I have or money or whatever I, I could contribute. And let them be that artist, that singer, that go to college, whatever they want to do. If I could just help people, give them that nudge. Because sometimes they're afraid to take the leap and mm-hmm. just a little bit of help is all they need. So, and uh, I don't know what that... I'm talking in circles, but You're good. Just we'll just we'll sum it up. Facilitator to the dream, you know, I guess. Facilitator the dream. Well, I'm going to sum it up with what you said. You're the rocket man. Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, I dig it, man. Yeah. Well, I'll link. I'll link everywhere. Everybody can connect with you. And again, if somebody wants to reach out to me, and I can connect a dot to over to Gary, um, you'll let us know. That's that's what our passion is, right? It's helping people. It's celebrating people, building their stories, and helping people accomplish their dreams and goals. So. Um, Gary, man, I like, I, I can't thank you enough. Round two, we knocked out of the park. We made it through unscathed. I hope you hit um, record. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> yep. I hit the record. We're good. Um, but man, I'm, I'm truly grateful for you and, uh, I'm sure that we will uh, catch up very soon. I'll do this all the time. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome, brother. I appreciate, I appreciate you, man. All right. I can't thank Gary enough for his vulnerability, willingness to share, and most importantly, his candid conversation. I hope that each and every one of you took at least one thing from this episode. For me, some of the quick takeaways include, regardless of what you've gone through, you can make it. Your friends and your community are sometimes the only thing that can get you through tough times. And that dreams are powerful. Go chase them. What were your takeaways? What were you left with? Let me know over on my Instagram, at Steve Wenzel, S-T-E-V-E, V-E-N-C-L on the post for this episode. Additionally, please share this with someone who may benefit from hearing these words. That's what it's about, sharing people's stories and understanding how to keep moving forward. Thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, and comment. And until next time, keep moving forward, even if it is just one small step at a time.